You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. It's Monday morning, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend. Uh, I took part in a garage sale and when I mean I took part in a garage sale my wife did a majority of the work while I watched the kids because I I just cannot deal with the people who come up to you and they say well this uh, 25 cents it's pretty steep why don't you uh, would you be willing to go down to 10 cents I can't deal I can't deal with that so I let my wife deal with it. I played with the kids in the backyard. I also <laughs> planted a garden, half of my garden anyway, this week. Rototilled up the entire garden, made it bigger this year. I planted nine tomato plants and 16 bell pepper plants so far. Uh, I have sweet corn, uh, green beans, carrots, and spinach yet that I want to that I want to get in there. And uh, I got plenty of time. I already I got a starter kit going, sitting on my kitchen table that uh, soaks up the sunlight while I'm at work. But the whole goal I wanted to accomplish with this garden this year was in the fall or late summer when all of these uh, vegetables start coming, you know, they start blooming and I, I can pull the vegetables off of them. My goal is to have one week worth of meals that I provide to my family that I have either killed the meat myself and grown the vegetables myself. So one week, five meals, five to seven meals, I'd take five, but five to seven meals of vegetables that I've grown and animal meat that I've killed. And uh, that would just really mean a lot to me. And uh, if my wife goes along with it, hell, she goes along with it, but I'm going to do it. So there's that. But so hopefully everybody else had a enjoyable weekend. The weather was great. Hopefully if you're still chasing turkeys, you got out and and uh, you know were successful on that end. And uh, mushrooms. Um, I myself have not had any luck with uh, with mushroom hunting, but I know a lot of other people have. I guess around where I'm from, we're still waiting a little bit on uh, the soil temperatures to uh, warm up so they start popping. But I know they're out there. I know people are finding them. But today's podcast, we're going to talk with a guy named Matt Bates. He's from Kentucky, and he's going to tell us a little bit about not only just a a story of the 2015 gun season there in Kentucky, but he's also going to talk to us a little bit about what hunting means to him and how he was raised to hunt, who got him into hunting, and uh, some of the property that he hunts, the improvements that he's made over the years to this property, and uh, 
how it's affected how he hunts. And uh, then leading into this 2015 season where he he was very successful and his buddy, his best friend, was successful and the cool story that goes along with it. But before we get into today's podcast, let's see what Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras has to say about what he feels is the number one cause of trail camera failure. Well, there are a plethora of reasons uh, why trail cameras typically fail. But if I had to pick just one, it's water. And I think most of us could probably, you know, say that that's common sense. Moisture and water are the number one enemy of trail cameras. And the way that a lot of cameras are built these days, um, they're not made proficiently to keep water out. And that's something that we noticed right off the bat when we started designing the Exodus lift was, you know, we were, we were testing all these cameras on the market and, and realizing that so many of them were, were basically made to allow water in. And, and, you know, I don't know if they were designed that way or if it just was a poor design or whatever, but that's essentially what was making so many of these cameras fail. You have to think about a, a product that's sitting on a tree 365 days a year um, through all of the spring showers, through you know um, the freeze and thaw of winter, and all of these things that most of our consumer electronics don't have to go through. And it's pretty easy to see that that's the biggest reason why. There are a lot of things that we can do to make that not an issue. But typically when you're fighting for price and, and to become the best, you know, price point product, that's hard to do. And I think that's where most of these cameras are falling short. If you want to find out more information about Exodus Outdoor Gear and Exodus Trail Cameras, visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And now let's get into this Hunter Profile podcast with Matt Bates from Kentucky. Mr. Matt Bates, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to be here. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing good. Yourself? Uh, I can't complain too much. You know, it's, it's the weekend, so yeah. not working. That's a, that's a fact. Now, uh, I take it you, or we had a little discussion over the phone about kids. You you were telling me about yeah. your son just had his tonsils taken out. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, he had his tonsils and adenoids removed, so he had a little bit of complications. So we were in the emergency room for about three days after his surgery, but we're finally home now. Good. How's he doing? Oh, he's great. He's, uh, he's watching, um, blaze and the monster machines right now. (laughs) That is one of my, the Paw Patrol and blaze and the monster machines are my daughter's two favorite shows. Oh yeah. I will. Blaze the Monster Machines, I can actually sit down and watch it with him. So that's, that's a plus. <laughs> hey, everybody loves Monster Trucks, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But today we're going to be talking about not necessarily one particular hunt, but kind of a tradition that happens, you know, in Kentucky every year with you, some buddies, and some family members. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you live and what you do for a living? Okay, um, I live in uh, I live in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, it's a it's a fairly small town. It's the bourbon capital uh, of the world, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, I work at General Electric, and uh, I work on the assembly line, so I assemble appliances. But in uh, pretty much all my off time, I am uh, my papa says that uh, that he farms for cows, and and I farm for deer. So nice. uh, that's pretty much my passion. Nice. So you said in bur- you're in bourbon country. Oh yes, I'm. Uh, I'm a huge fan of bourbon. I love bourbon. Uh-oh. Yeah. What uh, What companies are all around your area? Um, we have. Um, well, we have the the Jim Beam Distilleries out here. We have uh, Four Roses. Um, there's three or four more out here actually in this particular area i can't think of right off the top of my head right now um i've only lived out here for about a year oh okay but uh but there is they we have a big festival the bourbon festival every year and i mean it gets it gets wild and crazy so <laughs> i can believe it's, it it's, it's yeah it's pretty interesting it's <laughs> it's one of a kind that's right so let's talk a little bit about uh about yourself a little bit and how how and when did you start getting into hunting? Was it something that has been in your family for generations? Has it been fairly new? Elaborate on that. Uh, 
my grandfather, he actually, he started hunting when he's 75 now and he started hunting and his probably his late forties. And, uh, he just got into, you know, the, the stick bow and, you know, to get a, to get a longer season and he didn't really own any of his own property. So, um, he hunted all public land, hunted Fort Knox a lot, um, with a quota hunt. And, um, he just, I mean, I get, he just, it was something that he was, he was really passionate about and nobody else in my family really hunt. And when I was a kid, my grandfather, you know, he put a bow in my hand when I was, you know, my son's age, almost four years old. And, um, I just started shooting and I absolutely loved it. And, you know, every time, you know, it was mostly archery for me when I was a kid, it was mostly just, you know, shooting, 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 uh, you know, just, just having fun. I never really hunted with a bow. Um, but when gun season rolled around, it was, you know, opening weekend of gun season, my papa's brothers would come to the farm that he bought and, uh, you know, the grandkids would come down there. And that was, you know, we had a couple grandkids that hunted and, you know, his brothers, but that was about it. My parents, um, they, they never hunted really. And it's just now in my family, it's just, you know, me and my grandfather are the only ones that hunt. And uh, I have a couple buddies that I hunt with, uh, one in particular, my buddy named Brad, he's, um, kind of took him under my wing. I guess you could say we wound up uh, working at the same place and we actually went to elementary school together. And we wound up talking about hunting, and uh, he just, uh, I decided that, you know, I would introduce him to my papa and see if my papa would let him uh, let him hunt the farm with us. And uh, that was a good thing for him because uh, he had his uh, his best season this year. So nice. that, was, that was great. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about the property that you hunt. Um, I, I take it it's private ground owned by your grandpa. Why don't you tell me about yeah. how many acres it is, and then maybe a little bit about the terrain that uh, you're hunting on. Okay, so it's um, it's actually two separate farms. Um, the farm where the house is that my grandfather he he usually he hunts there. It's everything's behind the house. It's all cattle pasture, and it goes up a ridge up into the tree line, and then on the backside of that ridge is the property line. And I mean, it runs, you know. I don't know how to really how to explain it, but, uh, it's just pretty much, it's just a big ridge, like behind the house, it goes up to a big ridge and he owns all that property back there. And that's about 70 acres. And then if you go a quarter mile, the way the crow flies, he owns another, I don't know, it's probably about another 90, 95 acres. And, um, it's mostly uh, like a shotgun property. It's not very wide, but it's, um, it's all pretty much hay pasture from the front to the back and then you have some timber on the sides and the back where the there's a creek back there called Caney Creek that borders the property and there's some there's some more woods and timber back there but it, it's mostly um it's rolling hills on that farm you know just the big hay fields we don't have any kind of agriculture he raises cows so so what I forget what you said earlier and I'm sorry you're on the or western side or eastern side of Kentucky Yes, where he owns his property is in Ohio County, Kentucky. It's Western Kentucky. It's about an hour and forty minutes from from where I live. But he's owned that property now for about twenty five years. Gotcha. So I've been hunting it ever since I was a, a little kid. Okay. So here's the, here's the next question: Is you know, according to a lot of magazine articles, there's big deer in certain counties in uh in kentucky and the numbers are good and you know that that certain part of kentucky is kind of like a sleeper when it comes to big whitetails i know a couple guys who live out in kentucky and hunt out there and, and they have decent sized deer you know as far as antlers are concerned and age structure but uh what kind of deer are running around on your uh on your grandpa's farm um and it, it, it's kind of, it's, it's actually really neat because the way that the, the, the land lays, um, where we run our trail cameras, we have trail cameras back behind the house on the, the 70 acres. And then we have trail cameras over on the, uh, we call it, we just call it the other farm and, um, the, the 95 acres. And we run trail cameras on both farms and we actually, we get, we get pictures of the deer on both farms just because of the way the lay of the land. And, um, the age, the age structure is I've had a few pictures in the past, probably 
six years that I've been running trail cameras down there. Um, probably, I don't know, five or six really, really mature bucks. I would say probably in, in the four and a half, five and a half year old range, maybe even up to six. Um, I had, I followed one deer for two years. He was probably 165, 100, 160, 165 inch 12 pointer and, uh, in full velvet, but he just disappeared and I had no idea what happened to him, but pretty much most of the other bucks are, are anywhere from two and a half to three and a half years old. Uh, we do have, I guess we do have fairly good genetics. Uh, I have got pictures of some non-typical deer, um, nothing, you know, over probably 140 inches. But um, it's it's really good. Uh, it, to me, it's really good. I think. But uh, we just have there's so many people that uh, you know the the road hunters down there. They just you know it's it's a year round season for them, so they just pick them off whenever they want to. Right. Okay. So on this farm that you hunt, uh, do you, your buddy, or your grandpa have? Do you guys have a goal every year as far as what you're wanting to hunt? You know as you know taking a couple does off of it or uh do you have like antler restrictions or age restrictions that you adhere by or is it kind of uh if it's brown it's down um it's my my papa is is fairly old school so to him he's not going to shoot any does and if a buck is even with his ears you know that's that's a buck that he's he's willing to take uh he hasn't shot it he hasn't shot a, a buck and probably i don't know it's probably been 15 years. He just, he's getting to the point now where he just, he sits on the back porch on the swing and just watches out in the cattle pasture. And if one happens to walk out there, you know, when it's in season and he's got a gun in his hand, he's going to take a shot at it. (laughs) But, but me and me and my buddy, Brad, uh, I told my buddy, Brad, he, he killed a, uh, a small buck whenever he was really young. So I told him pretty much, I was like, you know, I want to kill a three and a half year old deer, no matter what the antler size is. I just want to, you know, that that was my goal for this year. And I told my buddy Brad, I said, you know, you know, you can shoot any deer you want to, as long as it's, you know, even with the ears, you know, so, so Papaw doesn't get mad about it. But, um, other than that, I try to take a doe off the property and, um, I try to have my buddy Brad take a doe off the property just to try to keep the numbers in check. And then we got kind of, you know, if that happens, we have to kind of argue with my Papaw a little bit why we shot the doe because he, you know, he's old school. You don't, you know, you don't shoot does if you're trying to shoot a buck. And what is his, so just, what is his reasoning behind that? If you don't have any does, you're not going to have any fawns. Right. Okay. So that, that's, that's his, that's his reasoning behind that. And he just, he's, you know, he's old school. You can't, I can, I can show him all the magazine articles, you know, everything that I can. I just can't get it, get it in his head. Yeah, that's all right. There's guys like that, man. I know a couple myself. Um, so going into every season, are you guys running trail cameras? Are you guys, you know, do you got food plots on these properties or is it just kind of a property you own and it just sits? Well, it's, um, out here in the past few years, probably four years, I've been, um, been planting food plots, um, just not nothing, nothing big. About probably three years ago, I planted behind the house as it goes up the ridge. It goes through the cattle pasture, and there's a pond on the the bank of the of the ridge, and the the tree line kind of horseshoes around the pond, so it's got a, a field back there. Well, since my papaw doesn't like getting out in the woods a lot anymore, I planted probably about a six acre um, food plot back behind the house right there beside the pond so that that he could just sit on the back porch you know maybe the deer would come out into the food food plot from the from the timber and uh he could get a shot on one and luckily you know a couple years ago he was able to do that um but and that's the only food plot that i plant on that property on the other property um on our other farm i actually plant about three acres total um there's a, a small pond fairly close to the to the entrance to the farm that uh it's kind of i don't know it, it was all it was all fenced in for cows and there hasn't been any cows over there for a long time so it's kind of you know it's just really growed up grass and you know small saplings that over the years have have you know kind of made really it's made some pinch points in there 
So um, I planted I planted that in a food plot right below that pond in that old little cattle pasture. It's only about I don't know about ten acres, and on the back side of that, there's actually um, a bedding area. So it makes a really good transition um, from the bedding to the the pond. And then I just put a food plot right in the middle for them so they wouldn't really have to travel very far to get food, water, you know, and, you know, good cover. And on the very back of the farm, we also have a, um, somebody logged the timber out before my papa got the farm. And it made, they had a landing back there where they kept all their equipment. And they actually made it back in the woods. And my only, only, the only way I figured they did this was probably to, to hide their equipment from you know, I guess nosy neighbors, they didn't want them knowing that all that equipment was back there. So they cleared out this big landing and uh, it's about, I don't know, probably about a three quarters of an acre to an acre. Oh, Hold on, buddy. I'm on the phone. Can you go watch Blaze for me? Okay. I'll make you something to eat in just a minute. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. No, that's all right. It happens, Dan. Do what, buddy? Okay, hold on. Go watch your phone for me. All right, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. And um, and where they had that landing at, where they kept all their equipment, like I said, it's probably about three quarters of an acre. It was kind of overgrown. Well, I just got the idea one day to go back in there with a the chainsaw and um, cut out all the saplings and then went in there with a the bush hog and, and tilled it up. And I've been planting that in a food plot, you know, every year since then. So okay. it's, uh, it, it, that's kind of, that actual food plot's kind of neat because it's on the base, it's on the top of a ridge. It's on the very back side of the ridge. So what it does is, is where the food plot comes in on say like to the right side of it, it's all really, really thick undergrowth and it's got, there's a lot of bedding back there. And if you go to the other side of the food plot, it drops straight off of a, like a pretty much a ravine going down into these big creek bottoms where the agriculture is and the deer actually move on the bottom side of that ravine because it's a it's a big creek bed that runs through there as well so that kind of makes another you know really big pinch point for those deer to move okay so, it's, so you noticed an increase in not only in the number of deer that are held on your property but a change in movement from when you added those uh, food plots? Oh yeah. Uh, big time. Because like when I was younger and I would hunt with my papa, it was just, you know, we'd get up at daybreak, we would go over there and we'd walk around, maybe jump up a deer, maybe sit down for 20, 30 minutes and move a little bit and then see if we could see something. Um, but now that we've actually got some, some really good stand locations and some, uh, some food plots and everything, we can actually start to get the deer patterned fairly well now. And the number of deer has increased. Um, I don't know. We've probably like say two years ago, I'd go out and sit and I would be lucky to see three deer in five sets. Now I can go out and set for one morning and see six or seven deer. And it's just, it's, it's, it's increased, you know, a whole lot. And it's, uh, it's, it's all our hard work paying off. Right. Now, have you done any more improvements to the property other than uh, food plots? Have you done any, like, timber stand improvement or hinge cutting? Um, well, not intentionally, but my grandfather has had this property logged out twice since he's owned it. Okay. And pretty much what, he, what, he, what has happened was the last time he had it logged out was um, actually last summer. So I was, I was actually really scared of that happening because I was like, well, what's going to happen to the deer movement? I had, I thought it was going to push all the deer away. I wasn't going to see any deer and it was just, it was really depressing, I guess you could say. Um, but when they actually came in and my, my grandfather selected what trees he wanted cut and he, he selected what trees that he wanted cut and the guys, my papa, I talked my papa into letting these guys leave all these huge treetops in there and just making a couple little roads through there. And, um, he didn't, they didn't really hinge cut anything, but 
it cleared out so much and we had a lot of undergrowth come up and those big treetops, it just, it just drew those deer in there and they started bedding there. And I had a really good encounter, um, with a few deer actually in that particular spot that I'm talking about that, that that happened where he, uh, where he selected the actual timber that he wanted on the take. He let them, he let them take the rest of the timber they wanted to on the rest of the farm. But on this one particular spot, he, had, he, you know, he went in there and he, he told them what trees he wanted them to take. And it actually, it, it worked out so well for us during the yeah. deer season. Good, good. Improved the bedding. Sounds like. Oh yeah. So you run, you run a little trail cameras. Um, and when, when does archery season start in Kentucky? I know it's in September, right? Yeah, it's usually the first weekend in September. Okay. So you guys get a whole month or whole month head start uh, down there as opposed to here in Iowa, which it starts October 1st every year. Um, so what is your goal going into the archery season? Uh, do you lay off the property for a little bit? Um, do you, I mean, September, you can still catch some of these deer on a really good food to bed or, you know, bed to food pattern in the evenings. Do you take advantage of that or kind of what's your, what's your game plan? Um, we actually, we plan a lot for the first weekend going into the, the archery season because, it seems like on these particular properties, I guess it may be that general area. Um, but according to my trail cameras, I get my best pictures of my more mature bucks and my, you know, my bigger bucks in velvet. And I always, you know, they're really not necessarily easy to pattern, but they're not as hard to pattern. And um, usually we're getting a lot of daytime pictures, you know, in you know, in September or, you know, the beginning of September. And, um, so what we usually try to do is we usually try to pick out a couple locations where not necessarily a particular deer might be, but where there's looks like a high volume of deer have been there, you know, in the mornings or afternoons. So, um, we just, um, we kind of hit it hard for the first couple weeks because it seems like after they shed their velvet, it's everything's nocturnal. Yep. So can you and get, it, can you not get just, uh, velvet bucks? I mean, are you, have you ever had the opportunity at a velvet buck in Kentucky? I, I haven't had the opportunity, but if, if the opportunity arises, I'm not going to pass it up. Gotcha. Uh, cause they usually, uh, the, around where I hunt, they usually shed their velvet the second to third week of September. So we usually have that first week, you know, to, if we want to shoot one in velvet, you got to hit it really hard. And it's mostly in the afternoon, but um, you got to you got to hit it hard to get one of velvet. Right. It seems like as soon as they shed their velvet, they're they're gone. <laughs> yep. So let's see here. So and then uh, when does the gun season then start that you guys always participate in? Um, we actually we have an early muzzleloader that comes in mid October, and um, then we have a the firearm season that comes in. The uh, like the second, it's usually the second week in November. Okay, and uh, that's a, that's a pretty big deal for everybody around those parts. Right. I mean, it it sounds to me is that a shotgun or rifle? It's a uh, either or. Okay, because I know it's a huge thing in Minnesota. It's a huge thing in, in a, like in even in Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. You know, it sounds like it is in Kentucky that those the very first uh season and depending on how many seasons there are of that rifle season it seems like everybody comes out of the woodwork to hunt and uh and sounds like that's kind of the same thing in your area does that benefit you your property at all or does it does it hurt it it kind of it kind of hurts it because our properties are so small compared to everybody else's properties that are out there. And, um, it, it, it hinders us a little bit, but we try to lay off the property, you know, right before the rut kicks in. So, um, cause the people who own the property behind us, it's all agriculture back there. And it's all, they, it's, it's like, I don't know. I guess you could say it's like Fort Knox on opening morning. season. It's, you know, Diesel trucks, you know, 
blaring through the through the fields and you know people on four wheelers and it's just it's kind of it's kind of hit or miss it seems like yeah you know going into the gun season how it's how it's going to be but you know leading up to gun season it's it's usually fairly good you know the the last week of october and the first week of november okay so now let's get into uh the story that you wanted to uh that you you contacted me about and that was this 2015 season correct yes sir okay so you know you have your tradition you your grandpa your you and your buddy and uh you went out and it sounds to me like you were successful kind of you know start at the very beginning you know with as much detail as possible talk about the deer that you uh that you shot and uh you know maybe where you were setting lay everything out for us okay the the deer that i shot um he was a i mean he was he's not a, a giant deer but he is a he's a nice eight pointer for me he's my second largest deer uh, I didn't score him, but I figured he'd probably go around about 110, 115 inches. Um, I think he was around three years old. Uh, but leading up to this season, I had a new plan for our other farm because, like I said before, it had been logged out that summer. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to try to find different access routes uh, because I felt like I was blowing a lot of deer uh, actually as I was going into the woods, but you know, this year I had my buddy Brad with me. So we had to, we had to figure something out. Um, so what we actually did was we used to just park by this old barn that's close to the entrance of the farm. And, um, what I decided to do was in the very front of our property, I decided to start parking my truck at the very front of the property. And what we would do is we would walk down the gravel road all the way to where kind of where we used to park the barn is and then we would split up and it seemed like as long as we didn't drive onto the property in the mornings we would see deer so that kind of that kind of changed our our plans up for this year um just for the simple fact that we noticed that the first two or three times that we went out where we parked that made a huge difference so um on opening morning, on November 14th of 2015, um, I kind of let my buddy Brad pick where he wanted to hunt. And um, he said, hold them, please take that in the living room, buddy. Yeah, they are. But um, I told my buddy Brad, you know, I told him, I said, you know, you pick wherever you want to hunt because I want you to be able to get a buck this year. And um, so he picked his, you know, his location um, over by the pond in the stand that we call the Cadillac stand. And, um, so I put my climber on my back and I decided to go all the way to the very back of the property, um, about probably about 150 yards from the property line where the big Creek is. And, um, so I took the, the longest route possible to get to this tree stand that I thought I wouldn't bump any deer in. So pretty much what I did was after I got out of my truck, I walked through the middle of these hay fields. And it, I probably went, I don't know, half a mile, three quarters of a mile back before I got to my stand location. And I just stayed directly in the middle of this, this hay field so that um, I wouldn't, you know, be on any of the trails that are close to the timber, you know, maybe spooking any deer out. I didn't figure they would be in the hay fields. I figured if they were going to be anywhere, they would be on the other side of the creek, you know, in the, in the cut corn over there in the, early in the mornings. Um, so after I get back to the stand, I get everything hooked up, you know, I get my safety harness on, I get climbed up, pick the tree out that I wanted to climb. And, um, I had this tree in mind for the past couple of years, but I never got back there to hunt it. So I actually got this, but I actually had this tree picked, um, for a couple of years that I wanted to climb and, um, I never got back there to climb it. So I got up in the stand and, um, I'm actually trying to get everything situated and I can hear something below me. And I had, you know, I'm, I always get in the stand probably an hour before daylight. So it's pitch black. I hear some crunching on the ground. I'm still trying to screw in my, my bow holder that I use to hang my gun on. And I had deer underneath me already. So I immediately had to just freeze, stop doing what I was doing, 
they came to the base of the tree that I was on. I was looking at them through my headlamp, and there wasn't nothing I could do. They just sat there, stood there, and looked at me. They never smelled me. They didn't really do anything. They just sniffed. They just smelled the ground for a second, and then they just they moved on. It blew my mind. Like I, I couldn't even I couldn't explain it. I'd never had anything happen like that before. Um, shortly after that, you know, I, I finally get situated. I'm texting my buddy Brad. I'm like, hey, you know, I just had some deer in on me. You know, they didn't spook. You know, it was, you know, it was, it was really exciting. And, you know, he's texting me back saying, I've heard some, you know, what I think might be deer, but we still had 45 minutes before it even got daylight. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, after the sun came up, you know, it was one of those mornings that you kind of, you're like, this is the morning to be in the woods. Right. right. And I mean, it, it's cool. It's crisp. You know, it, it's really quiet. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, which way are these deer going to come from? Are they going to come from across the agriculture or across the creek from the agriculture and go up to the bedding area? Or are they going to parallel the creek and come beside me and head off to where I think is another bedding area? And um, what actually happened was I was sitting there, you know, trying to decide where the or where I thought these deer were going to come from. And I hear something from my right coming from the bedding area. I was thinking, you know, hey, this may be a buck. You know, he may be cruising through that bedding area checking for does. Um, so I kind of want to, you know, get myself situated. I had my gun, you know, right in front of me on my climber. And um, out pops this little uh, four-pointer. And he just moseys on in front of me. And, you know, he kind of goes down and winds up going across the creek back out into where all the, the cornfields are. And, you know, by that time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting pumped up. I'm like, yeah, I'm starting to see some movement. I text my buddy Brad, and I'm letting him know that I'm seeing deer. And he's, you know, texting me. He's, he's sending me videos of a little six-pointer and a doe. And, you know, I got these videos trying to load on my phone, and I'm just thinking, you know, he's going to kill a deer this morning. And uh, I'm sitting there talking to him, and I wind up hearing, like, this, some, some leaves rustle to my left. I just so happened to look down and there was a buck. You know, I immediately saw the body size of the deer and I was like, this is a deer that I'm going to shoot. Uh, so I just, I, I just grabbed my, I had to put my phone down in my lap. I grabbed my gun. I pulled my gun up, put the crosshairs on him, squeeze the trigger and he stands there. And my jaw just hit the floor. I'm like, I just, I just missed this deer. It's the second, you know, the second biggest buck that I've, you know, seen in person on this property. And I just, I just, you know, I just blew it. Well, he, he actually takes two steps. I'm able to reload my gun. And then when I reload, when I ejected the shell, he actually took off running. I got the, the shell loaded back into the gun and he stopped. I wound up getting to stop. I whistled at him. And when he stopped, I took my time this time, put it right behind his shoulder, squeezed the trigger, and he hit the ground, and I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> uh, everybody within a quarter of a mile had to have known that I just that I just shot a deer because I mean I was so excited. That was the first buck that I had taken off this property since I was 14 years old, oh, and I am yeah I'm 28 now. Nice. So. I was, I was ecstatic to say the least, you know, I was getting on my phone, you know, text my buddy Brad and, uh, trying to call my wife, you know, waking my wife up at six thirty in the morning. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, I'm sitting here shaking like a leaf and she can tell that, that, you know, that I'm excited. And she's, you know, is there something wrong? I'm like, yeah, I got to sit down before I fall out of the street stand. <laughs> she's like, what's going on? I'm like, I just shot a really nice buck and she's, you know, congratulate me. You know, she's like, I got to roll over and go back to sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll get James batteries in a few minutes, but I'm going to, I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> yeah. Pr pretty much. She was just like, send me pictures. Colton's still sleeping. I was like, all right. You know, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to text my buddy Brad. And for some reason I don't have very good service. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, we were just sending pictures and videos back and forth to each other. 
and, you know, you know, telling each other what kind of deer we, you know, we saw. And, uh, finally I just, I was like, got myself calmed down and I had to get up, get out of the stand. And I actually walked back up the hill a little ways and called my buddy Brad. And I was like, Brad, I was like, I just, I just, I just shot a really nice deer. He's like, yeah, I figured you were, you were back there screaming. I could hear you. And I was like, well, I was excited. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was, I was just really pumped. So I, I got off the phone with him. I told him I'd let him hunt for a little bit. He's like, you know, you want me to come back there and help you? And I was like, no, don't worry about it. I got it. You know, we got two days to hunt. So, I mean, you go ahead and hunt and yeah, I can take care of this buck. So I, I got down the hill and, um, I was just the body size of this deer. He's the biggest body deer I've ever shot. Like I got up on him and he was like, to me, he was like a horse. I was just like, his, his neck was, you know, he was all rutted up. His neck was really big. He had a uh, part of his G2 on his, uh, on his left side had been broken off from where he was fighting. And, um, I mean, it was just, he was, he was an amazing deer for me. And the only bad part about the whole experience was I shot this deer in the bottom of a ravine Ugh. and it was just a straight up like to walk up this, you're on all fours. So I, I wound up having to get this deer. You know, I got him gutted out and um, I waited a while. And then my buddy Brad wound up, you know, coming back there and, and uh, helping me drag this deer up this hill. And it took us, uh, it seemed like it took us forever. It, it, I mean, it was, it's not a really long hill. It's just really steep. And it probably goes up from the bottom of the ravine to the top of, the, of this little ridge. It's probably only like 150 yards, but dragging a deer that weighed 185 pounds field dressed, which just, it was, it was hard on both of us. Yeah. I've been there, man. Even with a lighter deer. I mean, I remember, uh, I remember killing a two stories real quick. I want to tell you, I remember killing a doe, a toe, a doe once and it dropped down into this giant ravine, but at the very bottom of this giant ravine, there was prop, the, the crick was eroded. So there was like a three foot drop down on each side. And then it was, oh, man. So it was, it was almost <laughs> like someone dug a grave for the entire length of this <laughs> crick. And this, the doe that I shot ended up climbing or falling, you know, tried to jump the crick and I, she didn't make it and ended up oh, right, man. right there in the, uh, right there in the, in the creek. And I, my stepdad helped me drag it out. And it, he was, when I told him, Hey man, we might, it might be a little difficult. This, he was just swearing, <laughs> swearing <laughs> helping me it. try to try to pull this, uh, this dough out. And the second real qu- quick story is my, I, I had this, I, a guy told me this story once and a guy hadn't shot. It was kind of a story similar to you. This guy didn't shoot this doe for, or didn't shoot a buck for like 10 years. And then he ended up shooting a buck and he was hunting with his buddy and shot this buck. And he started screaming in the stands. He was hooting and hollering. Well, his buddy thought he was starting to hear the word help out of this guy's mouth that he was yelling. So this guy jumps out of his tree stand, runs through the timber, and he's just like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's wrong? <laughs> Thinking his buddy fell out of the tree stand or maybe shot himself. But but he was just so excited. He was, I don't know. It was it, the way this guy hey, was funny. <laughs> so I've, I've been in that. I've been in a similar situation to that. So, okay. So now you're, you get it back to the truck. Did you, I take it you went and you showed your grandpa, what do you have to say? Oh my God. He was, you know, he was excited for us. Um, he was, you know, well, that's a nice deer. It's a really big body. He's like, so, uh, let's get it cut up. Yeah. He's one of those guys. He's like, you know, you get the deer back to the house. He's like, let's get it cut up. Let's get it in the freezer, get the confirmation number on it. Let's get it done. Yeah. And I'm, I was like, I want to wait because I want to be able to take this back to my son. I'm like, I want to take it back so Colton can see it. It's going to be cool tonight. It's going to be cool tomorrow. I was like, I'll take it back to the house. And um, this first year I've actually had, or my second year I've had done uh, through a processor. But I was like, I can take it up to the up to the processor on the way back, or after I show you know Colton and and Tabitha. 
And um, he's like, all right, well, where are we going to put it? And uh, I was like, I don't know. I was like, you want to hang it up in the barn or you want to hang it up back here on the porch or what do you want to do? He said, all right, well, give me a minute. He comes back with his brand new tractor with a front loader on it. It's like, here, put it on here. But put it on there and he drove it back into the, into the, um, into the tractor shed and it sat there for the night. So okay. it was, uh, it was, we got a couple pictures, you know, my papa was really not that big on pictures. So he was kind of standing there, you know, with his, with his old mean looking face, you know, just <laughs> like, why am I here? Why, why is there somebody with a phone pointed at me? <laughs> so I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. You know, I, I think it's, it's a it's the best picture of me and my papa. So oh nice it's memories for a lifetime. Nice. So, what did your son have to think about this, Buck? When you showed? Oh it to my him? gosh, he was. Uh, well, we actually got to show him too. So he was just he was ecstatic. You know, he he was three. He's three. He was three years old at the time. You know, we got him out of the truck and we put him on the ground and you know he's jumping up on the back of it. You know, trying to pull his head up with the antlers and. He's just like, Daddy, that's a nice deer. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think so, too. And uh, he's, I mean, he was just, he was so excited. He's ready to go with me. Uh, but my wife's like, you know, five years old, he can get in the tree stand. So so next season, by next gun season, he'll be, he'll be up in the tree stand with me. Oh, boy. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. So, oh, oh yeah, he's always... He's always wanting to go. So now the, the story's not not over yet because oh no. <laughs> so the next day comes and what happens? Well, I didn't. The afternoon after I shot the deer, I didn't wind up going into the woods because I wanted to get some firewood cut for my fat ball for the for the upcoming winter. So uh, my buddy Brad, he was like, "I'm gonna stick it out and I'm gonna go back to the same stand that I was at this morning, the Cadillac stand." So I was like, all right, that's cool. You know, just text me or call me or something. Let me know what's going on. Well, I didn't really hear anything from him until it got dark. He gets back to the house, and he's like, man, I didn't really see much moving. I saw that little six-pointer again that I saw this morning. I was like, well, that's cool. I was like, well, what do you want to do in the morning? He's like, to tell you the truth, he's like, I'd really like to go back to that same stand. I was like, you're going to sit here pretty much your whole weekend in this one stand and uh, he was like, "Yeah." He's like, uh, "I really, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to that stand in the morning." I was like, "Well, you know what? I'll go with you. You know, I don't have anything to do, so I'll go with you." So we wind up, you know, the next morning, we wind up getting everything packed up. Um, we head over to the other farm. We get out of the truck. We get sprayed down with everything, and we park in the same place as we did the morning before. We get sprayed down. And um, we start walking down this gravel road. And uh, it's, it's probably only about a 10-minute hike from where we parked to where the tree stand is. The tree stand's maybe 150 yards from the entrance of the property. Um, but it's, it's one of those ones that we, we kind of put for my path off so that, so that he, could, he could have a chance to hunt it. And um, he didn't wind up going over there. So that's why I guess that's why my buddy Brad wanted this this stand location so much. Right. Um, but we we climbed up in the sand. Like I said, we usually get in there about an hour early. Uh, we climbed up in the sand, and um, we're we're actually up there trying to get our. It's a really big stand. Me and my papa actually made it when I was younger. It's like a, a four by four platform that uh, ladder stand that we made, but has a four by four platform with a rail that goes all the way around it. So you can comfortably fit two people up in this tree sand. Yeah. And um, it overlooks this little pond. And then you got the little cattle pasture there that uh, the food plot was kind of overgrown. Um, the weeds had kind of taken hold and started, you know, pretty much there was very little left of the food plot. But we had a bedding area that was really close off to our right. And then off to our left was this little block of timber that's maybe, I don't know, four or five acres, it kind of like, if you look at your thumb, like put your thumb in, in like on the edge of a hay field, that little block of timber is your thumb. So it's, that's probably, I don't know, four or five acres, maybe six. And um, so we get up, we get up in the stand 
and we're overlooking where that little pond is. And this is about probably 45 minutes before it gets daylight. And um, my buddy Brad really hasn't hunted a whole lot. Um, he just really got into it really big last, not last season, but the season before when, uh, when me and him started hunting a lot. And um, I hear a snort wheeze. Immediately, I know exactly what it is. My buddy Brad's kind of like, you know, what's that? I was like, like, you don't know what that is. I was like, it's a snort wheeze, buddy. I was like, you know, that's <laughs> like, you know. And um, so at this time, it's still about, you know, 45 minutes before it gets daylight. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should, you know, just sit there, if we should rattle. If we should, you know, just to try to keep them in that general vicinity, try to keep them interested in what's going on over there. Because apparently there's a buck and, you know, maybe another buck because there's, you know, there's not just going to snort weeds just because there's going to be a a reason behind it. So we're sitting there, you know, what are we supposed to do? And so I just, I wound up getting on the grunt call and I just grunted a couple of times, even though it's pitch black and uh, just to try to keep the interest in the deer. Well, he wound up, this deer wound up, I don't know what deer it was, wound up walking within 15 yards of the tree stand. And, you know, all we can hear is it crunching around down below the tree stand. And the moon, we didn't really have a, a really bright moon that morning, so we couldn't even really see a silhouette of a deer or anything. It's kind of, you know, some undergrowth. And he was just walking around in there. Well, he wound up walking off. Well, this went on for like, probably 25 minutes you could hear these two deer grunting back and forth at each other snort wheezing maybe 50 yards from the tree stand that's neat and it is like it's blowing my mind because i've never heard anything like that i mean and this was pitch black dark we're over there and we're just like these deer are going to leave before we even wind up getting you know for my buddy brad you know before he winds up even getting a shot at one of them you know what are we supposed to do so we wind up just sitting there and you know Every time that you would hear those two um, grunt back and forth at each other, I would throw out a real soft grunt on my grunt tube. And it would kind of pull them down our direction a little bit. Well, they were still in that all, all that undergrowth. Well, as soon as the sun popped up, my buddy Brad immediately spotted one of the bucks. And it was a small six-pointer that he had seen two times the day before. And he was like, man, I'm not going to shoot that deer. He's like, we got all excited over that deer. And I was like, man, there's got to be another deer or more deer with it. And, uh, we could see another deer and we couldn't make out, you know, if it was a buck or a doe, which I'm assuming it was a buck, but, um, we could never make out what it was and where all this stuff happened at, where all this activity was coming from was the exact same place that we used to park my truck. So that was a big, you know, that was a light switch there. You know, man, I shouldn't have been parking my truck here for years. Yeah. So it, it's right there by the road, by the barn. I never thought in a million years that that all this activity would be going on right by this gravel road. Um, but we wound up having about probably 20, 25 minutes after daylight. Those deer kind of, you know, they fed off and we didn't know where they went. About 20, 25 minutes later, we actually had, we heard something coming towards us and we had a small buck, another little six pointer, a different one actually, um, come through the, these, this little strip of timber straight towards us, straight towards the pond out of a bedding area. And, uh, I asked my buddy Brad, I said, was that, is that a deer you'd be interested in? And he said, no, that's not a, a deer that I want to take. So we just sat back and watched. And we had a, a doe wind up coming from up by the barn where those deer were earlier in the morning coming down in front of us. Um, so we just, you know, we sat there and we, you know, we were just enjoying it, taking it all in, seeing all these deer. And next thing you know, off to our left in that, that, that small chunk of timber that's, that goes out into the hay field, it sounded like a tree fell over. It was like a huge crash. This huge commotion. We both looked at each other, you know, like, what, what the heck was that? And um, next thing you know, about six deer just pile out of this little strip of timber out into the hayfield in front of us, about 200 yards in front of us. And 
I could see that it was five bucks chasing one duck. Oh boy. Okay. And uh, so they're they're just chasing this doe. This or this these bucks are chasing this doe, and um, my buddy Brad and me are just kind of in shock. Like you know, how are we going to get one of these deer down? And um, he start, winds up start looking through his scope. And uh, he sees a really big buck, and, I mean, he just starts – he gets the shakes immediately. Like, I look <laughs> over at him, and he is just – and he's looking through the scope, and he's going, man, it's big. It's really big. It's it's really big. And I'm like, okay, Brad, you know, we got to calm down. we got to come up with a game plan. I want you to get – you know, I want you to get a deer. And these deer were – like, we sat up there for probably 20, 25 minutes watching all these bucks, these five bucks, chase this one doe. So we watched we watched these these bucks chase this doe out in this hayfield, and um, I was in shock. I've never seen that many bucks chase one doe on you know in my life, let alone on my grandfather's property. And yeah. you know to have my best friend with me at the time, it was just it was one of those things where it's just a great day to be in the woods. It was it was amazing, and. Um, so we're sitting there trying to come up with a game plan on on what we should do, and you know it comes to like one of the, the podcasts that that I listened to with with you and Mark. You know, kind of one of those things where you have to, you know, not do your normal stuff. You know, kind of kind of think outside the box a little bit. And um, I wanted to tell my buddy Brad, I was like, these deer or these bucks are so into chasing this doe and wanting to breed this doe. I was like, I bet you can climb down the, the tree stand, go on the other side of that pond bank, and get a shot on those deer. Because where we were at, he couldn't get he couldn't get a shot on the buck that he was wanting to shoot. And um, so I somehow talked him into at, at first he he really didn't want to because he was scared he's gonna scare the deer off. And that was our we only had an afternoon to hunt after that. So he didn't he didn't really want to mess up the opportunity. But I kind of talked him into, hey, man, I think this is the only shot that we're going to have at this. And uh, so he wound up, while those bucks were out here, out in that, that hay pasture, he climbed down the tree stand. I stayed up in the tree stand and watched the deer for him. He climbed down the tree stand, wound up shimmying his way across this pond bank, down the other side, and got his rifle set up on a tree. And I'm sitting up there, and I'm thinking he's getting ready to shoot. Well, I start looking at him, and he's just following his rifle, just you know, kind of going back and forth a little bit. And I can see the deer running back and forth, and he's just following this deer, waiting for him to stop. Well, he sits down there for like what seemed like an eternity. It was probably only three or four minutes, but uh, finally, I saw the deer stop, and uh, I, I saw the doe stop. And the biggest buck that was out there was right behind her. It was, it looked like he was getting ready to breed the doe. And I just heard the, the crack of my buddy shooting. All the deer run off and uh, they run off into the timber. They run behind this big cedar tree and we can't see where they went. Well, I immediately, after he shoots and watch the deer, I immediately just like, I look like one of those, uh, those guys that, uh, that, that climb logs, those lumberjack guys, you know, coming out of the tree, you know, just like two feet hit the steps. And next thing you know, I'm on the ground and I'm running over there to him. I'm like, well, did you hit him? You know, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, I shot and he ran off. And, you know, he's just, he's like, he's shaking. He's in shock. He's pumped up. He doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, neither of us do. We don't know if he killed the deer or what. So, we wind up going over across this little cattle, old cattle pasture, and there's a barbed wire fence. And um, I'm looking out in this field, and the hay is, is, is really sparse, but it's probably, I don't know, about three foot tall. So you can't really see in it. And um, I'm climbing over the fence, and one of the younger bucks that was with all those other deer was standing about 60 yards right down the fence line just looking at us. And I'm, you know, I'm over there really not too worried about it. I don't want to spook him, you know, a whole bunch and, you know, educate him. But on the other hand, we want to get out there and look for his buck. So my buddy Brad, you know, he's standing there. He's looking at me. We're talking. He's like, 
So what are we going to do? I'm like, to be honest with you, Brad, I really don't care that this little buck's right here watching us. So we wound up stepping over this fence with this little buck watching us and walking out in the end of this hay pasture. And I start looking around and I wind up seeing my buddy Brad, you know, I, I see his buck laying there and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, he just, he just killed the biggest deer that's ever been killed off this property. And I was just, I was so enthusiastic. Like I went over to him and I didn't even give him a chance to go look at the deer. Like I just ran over there to him. I like bear hugged him and picked him up off the ground and was like spinning around. I was like, you just killed your biggest buck. I think I was just as excited as he was. Yeah. You know, we were hooping and hollering and he hadn't even laid his hands on the deer yet. So he wound up going over there and he was just, you know, he was shaking. He was, you know, he was just, he was so enthusiastic. And the deer that he killed was really, really unique. We have a lot of trail, or we had a lot of trail camera pictures of him. He's um, he's a seven pointer, and on his, I'm not sure which side. I think it's on his on his left side. He's got five points, and on his right side, he's got a brow tine, and then his main beam just curls up, kind of like a samurai sword. So uh, we actually had him nicknamed the Samurai Buck. And he was one of the deer that was actually on our, you know, one of the deer that we were, I guess, our hit list, you know, one of the deer that we said that we would shoot from our trail camera pictures. And uh, he didn't, the whole time he was looking at the deer through the rifle scope, he never even noticed one time that it was that deer. So he was just, I mean, he was just so jacked. And the way, the way that it all played out, it was just, it was awesome for me to be there with him killing, you know, the big, his biggest buck to date and the biggest buck that we've killed off that farm. And what was the, what was the, you know, estimated score of it? Um, his, the estimated score, we didn't actually score it, but I, I'd say it probably go, it would probably go around, a, I'd say probably about 120 inches, maybe. Nice. Um, 115, 120 inches, but it's still, it was the biggest, he was only a two and a half year old too. Okay. But I kind of, it was, we wanted to get those genetics out of there. That's why he was one of the deer that we wanted to shoot. But uh, it was not to mention it was the biggest deer that, that my buddy Brad had had shot. So it was it was really interesting to how all that played out. Perfect, perfect. Well, sounds like you guys have uh, had some fun down in there in Kentucky. Oh yeah, we. I mean, we always do. But it seemed like like this year it was uh, it was the the most deer that we had seen. And we actually laid off the property a lot. We only hunted the property probably eight days total out of the season. Oh, good. The, the, the rest of the time we were, you know, we went down there. We were, you know, helping my papa out around the farm or, you know, running the trail cameras or, or you know, uh, refilling the corn feeders or, you know, putting out more minerals. Because we run minerals year-round, run corn feeders year-round, and then the food plots and I mean, we try to keep the deer there because we have, you know, a lot of people around there that they just don't care. They just, you know, they shoot whatever they want to. And, you know, that's cool. That's, you know, that's, that's you know, it's their property. But we just, we want to kill some, you know, try to shoot some bigger deer or more mature deer. Well, sounds like you guys had fun. And I tell you what, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's no problem. Uh, thank you for letting me come on here. And, uh, I hope you have uh, some. I hope you had some really good luck this year. You've had some had some bad luck in the past few years. I've I've heard so. I hope it gets better for you. Yeah, I tell you what, I'll take any luck I can get. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could take my two biggest deer and put them together, and it would be something that you would shoot. Hey man, so. I tell you what, it's not it's not about that at all. I I love a good big buck, you know, and I I'm I'm blessed in Iowa to. Uh, I'm blessed to hunt some uh, some dandies, but I tell you what, just because I don't kill doesn't mean it's not a successful season. Oh, I guarantee it. I heard you're planting your first food plot this year too. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try to plant my first food plot. Let's see how that works. Oh, it's a that's an ordeal in itself. Believe me. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us as Matt's son wasn't feeling the greatest today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Big shout out to Matt for coming on the show and sharing his story. Big shout out to all of you guys and gals for tuning into the podcast, downloading and doing what you do. Um, That just equals you guys are supporting me and I appreciate that very much. 
Also want to send a huge shout out to Exodus Trail Cameras for supporting the podcast as well. If you want more information from uh, Exodus Outdoor Gear, visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you guys aren't already following me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, make sure you guys go visit uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles on all those social media forums and uh, like, click, do whatever it is that you do. Now, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for tuning in. And until next time, wear your damn safety harness.